tripping. You are tripping. That's right. I ain't tripping. Why are you tripping? Quit tripping. That's what running back Najee Harris says. If you think kickers should be paid more than running back, you tripping. I ain't tripping. Let me explain to you as we get right into this, the running back position, including our own here in town, our own hero. Yay, Rob, go fight when Jonathan Taylor is tripping. Running backs be tripping right now, and they be tripping because they ain't getting paid as much as kickers. Kickers making over $2 million by average. Running backs making $1.8 million. The salary cap is killing running backs, and the franchise tag is killing running backs. Saquon Barkley did not come to a, big, a deal. Josh Jacobs as well. Jonathan Taylor here in Indianapolis is up for a deal, and I have no idea why you would want to sign Jonathan Taylor to a long-term deal. Here it is. There won't be long-term deals for Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard. They now need to play on a one-year franchise tag in order to play this season. Pollard signed his deal. Jacobs and Barkley haven't and may hold out. Good for them, man. Hold out. You tripping if you hold out. The number is about $10 million is what you're going to make on a franchise tag. So you're going to sit out and give away $10 million. Good for you, baby. Go Le'Veon Bell. Whatever happened to Le'Veon Bell, he is now, ladies and gentlemen, now he is saying, I shouldn't have left the Steelers. Really? He signed a big deal with the Jets, but the year off partying and, well, being Le'Veon Bell didn't exactly help his career. It's all up to what you want. Look, the market dictates what you are worth, period. And the game has changed. Officiating has changed. Passing is now the deal. So who do you pay? You pay the passer, i.e. the quarterback. You pay the wide receiver, i.e. the guy that catches the pass. Oh, by the way, on the other side of the ball, you pay the guy that can go get the quarterback, who, i.e. is the passer. That's what you do. I mean, I, I don't know. That Panchero kid was like a 27th round draft choice. Isaac Panchero from Rutgers. He runs angry. He runs mean. He pounds the earth, they said. Well, 7th round pick, leading rusher on what? A Super Bowl champion team. You don't like it? Learn to catch passes out of the backfield. You don't like it? Learn to be Debo Samuels. Look, they're all complaining. We got all kind of, you can just roll the tweets uh, on the running backs that are playing. Najee Harris says, y'all tripping. I am tripping. I ain't tripping, I'm slipping. SMH, crazy. No, it's not. Look, I hear everybody tell me you are what the market decides you are. You are worth what the market decides you are worth. Well, right now, running backs ain't worth. Now, maybe it's cyclical. Maybe it does a 180 or 360. Hell, I don't know. Maybe it all comes back around, but I don't know. Because I don't see in the foreseeable future, I just don't, uh, where running backs are going to be what they once were. And if you really think about running backs, the greatest football player that I ever saw was Walter Payton. He played for the Chicago Bears. I've never seen a better football player. Christian McCaffrey, by the way, says it's criminal. Three of the best players in the entire league, regardless of position. Well, good for you, Christian. Walter Payton never won a Super Bowl, never competed for a Super Bowl until what, 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 what? They got the best defense I have ever seen, 85 Bears. The best I've ever seen. I don't care if it was 1985, 172 years ago. Most athletic, best defense ever. Guess what? They win a Super Bowl. This isn't brand new. It's brand new-ish. Christian McCaffrey, nice player. Really nice player. Fun to watch when he gets in the open field. But you know what happens? Here's the deal. Here's what's killed running backs. The lack of big plays. 
used to be the toss sweep. You get a guy on the edge and he can make a move. He was the fastest guy on the field. Now, guess what? He ain't the fastest guy in the field. The cornerback is about that tall. He's built like a Mack truck, and he can run a 4 nothing 40. He does cone drills in 0.00 seconds. It's unbelievable. There's going to be a cornerback that does things in negative time. McCaffrey not happy. Najee Harris not happy. My guy. My guy. Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor not happy. But Jonathan Taylor, if we could show his tweet, JT, as they call him here, took it a little bit too far. All right, Matt Miller's a punk. Now, Matt Miller is a little soy boy punk, so we discard Matt Miller. When Matt Miller was hired at ESPN, I knew I couldn't work at the same company because if you're going to hire D-bags like Matt Miller, I can't be there. But anyway, here's Jonathan Taylor. If you're good enough, they'll find you. True. If you work hard enough, you'll succeed. No, that's not true. If you work hard enough, you have a chance to succeed. If you don't work hard enough, you have no chance to succeed. If you succeed, you boost the organization. And then doesn't matter, you're a running back. Well, let me ask you a question. Jonathan Taylor came to the Colts in his first year there. They were 11-6, and six, which meant that Jonathan Taylor was joining a pretty good team. Since then, Jonathan Taylor has been crap. Culminating last year, I said 3-14. and 14. I forgot about the tie. 4-12-1. Now, let me ask you exactly how has Jonathan Taylor boosted that organization. I'll hang up and listen. I swear I will. But explain to me how Jonathan Taylor has boosted the organization. He joined first year 11 and 5. Phillip Rivers didn't want to come back to the organization. Numerous quarterbacks have been brought in. They haven't been good enough. Jonathan Taylor's been good. You could argue Jonathan Taylor's been terrific. But even as he's terrific, they've gone to 9 and 8. And then last year, 4-12-1. and one. little unfair, Taylor missed the last few games of the season, but the Colts changed coaches when Taylor was still healthy. So explain to me exactly how Jonathan Taylor has boosted the organization. You cannot name a Colt. In even one that I believe was MVP to Super Bowl, though they gave it to Peyton Manning. You can't name a Colt running back during the Peyton Manning era that boosted the organization. Joseph Adai was a nice player. You can name running backs when the Colts were bad. uh, Falk, the the Colts won Super Bowls after uh, Marshall Falk or whatever the hell his name was. Edger and James, really good. So I may be wrong there. But the truth of the matter is, when the Colts had Eric Dickerson, they didn't win nothing. They didn't win nothing. This is historical. Josh Jacobs, nice player. Tony Pollard, okay. Beat out Zeke Elliott. Saquon Barkley, I really like. Jonathan Taylor, I really like. But I'll be damned if I'm going to go outside the market to give money to guys that really their shelf life is three to five years, and I don't have to because you can franchise tag them for two years. You give them a rookie deal, you give them a franchise tag, you pat them on the backside, and you say adios. I'm not going to lie to you. There are some people with punchable faces. I may have a punchable face to you. I have a lovable face. This face went skinny. Women used to walk up to me and just kiss me on the cheek. They did. When I was playing in college or I was coaching, women would be like, you know, you're just so cute. And I'm like, I know. 
I just have those eyes. Now they're droopy. Now there's experience in those eyes. This eye here droops a little bit. My daughter bought me ice packs to put under the eyes. You know what I'm saying? But back in the day, seriously, when I was in college, girls would go, God, Doc, it's, I, can I just kiss you on the chair? Yeah, do what you want to do, baby. You know. And then I'd try to put the moves on them, and it never worked. I mean, I had a tooth that was missing. I don't have a punchable face. I have a lovable face. I have a, I have a face every one of the women in my neighborhood when I was a kid told me later, you were my favorite neighborhood kid. Why? I was sensitive. I had a great face, not punchable at all, and I paid attention to people. They're all like, yeah, Danny, we had all these neighborhood kids. You were always everybody's favorite. I know. I know. That's who I am. Now I'm old, bald, curmudgeony. It's not great. But the true story is Brent Venables, the coach at Oklahoma, has a punchable face. I want to punch him. Like, I know he's big and strong, tough football guy. I get it. He'd whip me in two seconds. But he just has a punchable face. He's got the kind of face where you go, man, you're so self-important. You're so on a high horse every single moment. And maybe he's not. Maybe he's a great dude. I don't know. I'm going to have to check in with Urban and find out if he's a great dude. But I know this. He's got a punchable face. And it's even more punchable when he went after Deion Sanders. Like, look, let me explain something to you about coaching. I don't give a damn what you do with your team. I don't give a damn. You do you. I used to tell coaches at the coaches' meetings, look, don't get mad at me if I keep a starter in. I won't get mad at you. You beat me by 300, I don't care. Doesn't matter. You coach your team, I'll coach mine. Now, if you cheat in recruiting, I'm going to turn you in because that's not coaching your team. That's It's not a victimless crime, okay? But the truth of the matter is Brent Venables is trying for some reason, and I don't understand it, trying for some reason after a – look at that. That's a punchable face. Anyway, after a horrible year, Brent Venables is trying to tell all of us how we are supposed to live through Deion Sanders. I give my players – a year. I give them 12 months. Yeah, who cares? Who cares what you give them? You're a figment of imagination. Look, let's just be honest. You're a figment of game day's imagination. A Bud Foster defense that never won anything. Bud Foster defense. When you get a Brett Venables defense, shut up. The easiest thing in the world to do is be an assistant coach with a lot of talent. Hell, I was a great assistant coach, and we had Calvert Cheney and those guys at Indiana. Not so much when we had other guys. But Venables woke up, and he decided, okay, today's the day I'm going to criticize Deion Sanders. Let's go. I went 6-7 and seven in my first year. Okay, well, by going 6-7 and seven in my first year, I can talk. I'm the coach at Oklahoma. He said this. Now, let me read this to you. There have been 70 players leave Sanders' program. And you know what? Good. Adios. Don't let the door hit you in the backside. Uh, Take out bad rubbish. All that kind of stuff. Good. I give guys 12 months of grace. Not me. I was unlike Dion. I gave guys 12 months of grace to figure it out here. Street. Go to class, live right off the field. And when you show up here... You show up with respect and appreciation for your opportunity. And if you go for three for 12 months, you need a fresh start. So we help 21 guys, give or take, find a fresh start. Good. That's your thing. You do you, big boy. And let Deion Sanders do Deion Sanders stuff. Look, this guy here took over Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Now, I don't know about you, but Oklahoma, a hell of a lot different. 
hell of a lot different than taking over Colorado. And he led this crew with his 12 months of grace to a 6-7 and seven record, the worst since, get it, 1998. That's how bad this clown was. So guess what? I'm in the business of winning. I ain't listening to 6-7. and seven. I'm going to play golf this afternoon with my buddy Cam, who's a 20 handicap. But he thinks the game pretty good, but I ain't listening to him for advice. Uh, there you go. Look, you go to Oklahoma, you do what you want. It's different than going to Colorado when you got a clean house. I guarantee you the, co- the core at Colorado, the culture at core Colorado was soft and ridiculous. I remember, you know I have a story for everything. When Tommy Miller took over as the head coach at Colorado basketball, he had to get Coors Light out of the locker room, literally. Coolers are Coors Light for players after games, or actually it was Coors. Colorado's ridiculous, and Brent Venables needs to shut the living hell up coach his own team, and move along and win some games. But, man, does he have a punchable face. He just looks like a guy that you'd sit down next to and he's going to tell you how great he is and he's going to pontificate. He's kind of David Pollock in that regard. Yeah, he kind of is. Hey, Skip Bayless not happy with LeBron James. Skip Bayless is never happy with LeBron James, but he posted this video about LeBron James. Let's have a look. I tried to tell you again and again and again about LeBron James since his rookie year in the NBA and my rookie year on national TV. Obviously, all-time great player, but also all-time great media and fan manipulator. He can be so incredibly insecure, so thin-skinned, such a blame-deflecting diva, always trying to change the narrative off his failures and sometimes his epic failures. I thought what happened against Denver in those four straight fourth quarters, they had chances to win, did the Lakers against the eventual NBA champs. I thought it was an epic, complete, total cumulative failure on the part of LeBron bleeping James. He went seven of 23 combined in those four fourth quarters. He shot one for 10 combined in those four fourth quarters from three. During the playoffs, he missed an NBA playoff record 20 straight threes. And he goes straight to the media, in the post-game interview and completely changes the subject and the narrative. He deflects all the blame off himself. He suddenly says, I just might retire. Oh, he drops the retirement bombshell. And then, of course, that led to the grand announcement on the ESPYs the other night, I'm coming back. As if any of us really thought you were never coming back. Just stop it, LeBron. And now you've changed from six to 23. Number one, in honor of the late, great Bill Russell. Now, there's a superstar. But number two, to change the narrative back, to try to remake the case that you're the GOAT, that you're greater than the original, the only 23, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. I got to tell you, it, it was a disgrace, LeBron, that you tried to wear 23 to begin with and live down to that. And now it's a disgrace to me that you're trying to do it again. You're trying to remake your case. Only a fool would think, only a blind witness would think that you're even in the ballpark of the GOAT discussion with that guy, the original, the only 23. How many times can you try to fool so many of the people out there who see right through your switching of the narratives? I've seen enough, LeBron. I can't wait for next year. And by the way, Undisputed returns August 28th. Be there. 
I mean, I, I, that's great. Yay, Rock, go fight, win. I, I don't know. I, to me, I mean, you get so upset about, you know, I don't, about another guy. I, I don't. Okay. All right. You, you get you get so upset. Everybody's upset. I mean, what you make a long video about another man. He really got into Skip Bayless, and I got to give Skip Bayless credit, man. He knows how to promote. Look, you play the hits. I told you, you play the hits. That's what you play. You play the hits. You don't mess around with crap. You talk about LeBron James, and you talk about the next guy that I'm going to talk about, and good for Skip Bayless, and then at the end, he got his promotion in. Good for Skip Bayless. Yay, Rob. But my God, LeBron James is fine. He's okay. He's all right. But damn, these dudes just cannot get LeBron and others out of their head. And I'm here for it. I love it. I'm here for it. Right. Michael Jordan fanboy. I don't even think he was back in the day. Bayless used to write, I think, for the Chicago Tribune. And I'm sure he made it about himself and Michael Jordan is a bad guy. I don't know. But what I do know is this, I will never, ever in my entire lifetime, Sean Black, I will never, ever, ever get to the point where I got to make long videos about a dude. That's it, about a dude that doesn't know who I am. All right, Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley ain't happy. Charles Barkley is not happy with guys like me. Charles Barkley is not happy with folks that are saying, hey, look, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not drinking Bud Light. I'm not having Bud Light at my, not at all, at my golf outing. I'm not. And I have friends that are. I got my friend Kevin Paschke. He's all over the internet. Bud Light is proudly served at this place. But that's great. I'm in, I'm, I'm for him. I like everybody's opinion. I got no problem with Charles's opinion. Charles goes off on basically everybody. Rednecks, a-holes. If drink Bud Light, I'm buying you Bud Light. Uh, here's the deal though. This isn't in my world. This isn't a stand against transgender. This isn't a stand against the LGTQ, ABCD. I love my transgender brothers and sisters, except for the one that tried to hit on me and my, my wife. Can I ask you a question in Minneapolis? Yeah, I'm not having that action, but the truth of the matter is Charles Barkley called people a-holes and he called them rednecks. Let's listen to Sir Cha. I want y'all to drink this beer. I want y'all to drink this beer. I got three cases of Bud Light. Hey, and I want to say this. If you're gay, bless you. If you're transgender, bless you. And if you have a problem with that, Apparently, he called the redneck a-holes before the video was recorded. And good for Charles, man. Hey, I stand up for gay. Stand up for transgender. But I ain't standing up for Bud Light. You can't take and disparage women like that. You just can't. You can't try to tell me and my peeps that we're going to use a fake woman to disparage women. You want to use a woman? Great. I say put them all in bikinis. I mean, that's what the little girls are trying to do in college athletics to make NIL money. Why? Because it attracts eyeballs. If I were Bud Light, I'd go back to bikinis. I'd go back to those cool Bud Budweiser bikinis. I'd have dance parties, beach parties, pool parties. I'd have good-looking guys. I, that's what I would do. 
I would make it entirely heterosexual. I wouldn't do a commercial thing where we got to have it. I'd have everybody in there, but it would be entirely heterosexual women and good looking dudes in bikinis and shorts and swimsuits. And it'd be a party. And I would advertise it as the beer of the summer party. I would, but it, Hey, look, but people want to go off on Bud Light. Go off on Bud Light. Charles, want, or excuse me, people want to go off on people protesting Bud Light. Go off. Do your thing. I respect everybody's opinion on this. I don't think my opinion is the only one ever. But it is my opinion, and you're not going to see me drink one Bud Light. And it is at a personal cost, as I've said. Because Mango Cart is an Anheuser-Busch product, and I swear to you, this is an advertisement for it. It's the perfect summer beer. It's like only 4.2% alcohol. It tastes great. It's refreshing. Fact of the matter is, uh, if you could drink it in the morning, I'd drink it in the morning. But it's got alcohol in it. I really don't want to walk around hammered all day. But it's the perfect after beer drink. It's the perfect out in the sun drink. And I'm not drinking it because I'm not drinking Anheuser-Busch products. And if that makes me an a-hole and a redneck, then I'm an a-hole and a redneck. I don't care. Whatever you want to call me, you call me, but that is what I am doing. That's it. Period. That's it. I'm just saying, like everybody else in the world can call me names, and that's fine. But you know what? I'm not going to call Charles Barkley names. Charles has a stance. But that, like, there's no debating. You're in a bar. You're not going to sit there and have a debate on it. So Barkley knows his audience. He knows his audience better than anybody. And so what Barkley did, Barkley simply said this. He said what you say when you are in a bar and you're trying to play to an audience. It's, people say, well, he should be debating on the issue. No, he shouldn't. Not in a bar. What's wrong with you? In a bar, you say what you're going to say, and you move it along, and you don't sweat it. That's just it, period. Period. Like, what do you want him to do? Well, you know, I, I think that women should be represented. Stop it, stupid. I don't want to hear it. He did what he did, and I ain't mad that he did what he did. Uh, Austin Killipis is a transgender cyclist. Really? Great, man. I say this, Austin. Here's what you should do. Austin Killipis, you should fight and compete against who? Whom should you compete against? You should compete against, well, other transgender. Austin K-I-L-L-I-P-S. He's mad. He takes a swipe at a cabal of right-wingers. A cabal of right-wingers. Yeah, he's mad. He's the first openly transgender female to win the official Union Cyclist International stage race this year. He's mad. I'm devastated by the decision to renege on their policy and framework set for my inclusion. My journey in professional racing has allowed me to see the world build lifetime relations. More importantly, give my absolute all to something I find deeply. No one should be denied the opportunity to chase the same joy that I and others have through racing. I don't think anybody's trying to chase their joy. He says, I guess what complicates all of this is sense is the fallout from something I did. Surely if it wasn't me, someone else would have become the scapegoat. But the unfortunate, go, go, right go race against chicks or dudes. Go race against dudes. No problem. No problem. I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, what's the problem? He won this Belgian waffle ride, ride in North Carolina. The organizers changed the policy. 
found that the current state of scientific knowledge cannot guarantee any physical advantage would be eliminated after undergoing hormonal therapy, blah, 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 blah. Basically, they said, dude, you can't race against women. Go race against dudes. I don't know. Maybe I got the story wrong, but that's the way I look at everything. Serious business. I look at everything that way. If you are a transgender, race against dudes. That's it. I mean, no, uh, that's not it. Uh, that's it for me. That's all you got to do. Race against dudes. You want to be a transgender swimmer? Race against dudes. You want to be a transgender basketball player? Play against dudes. I don't know. No. I'm just saying. That's the way I look at it. You can disagree. We can be civil. Boom. Uh, David Justice says that Barry Bonds is the baddest dude of my generation. He's right. He's absolutely right. He ain't wrong. He's right. 100%. All right. And he should be in the Hall of Fame. He's probably right. You know him. You love him. He always has the best background. He is. We're going with Cher. You're going to be like Cher. He's just Armando, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Without all the costume changes, you pretty much stay one costume here, and I'm good with that. All right, Armando, running backs, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard. Everybody's mad about running backs. What do you got for me on running backs? I'm not mad about running backs. I don't think any NFL teams are mad about running backs to the point where uh, the teams that were in play yesterday, the New York Giants, the Dallas Cowboys, and the Las Vegas Raiders, they got three running backs that they needed to get a contract on, Dan, or – they were going to have to play on their franchise tag, which means the players weren't going to be happy and there was going to be a lot of drama. And none of them got long-term contracts, so they won't play on long-term contracts. And here's the thing, all right? Everybody's wringing hands and gnashing teeth about, oh, my gosh, running backs are underpaid. It's really bad. Let me share something with you about running backs, all right? Running backs are a vital key cog in offenses, but they don't, they don't like win championships. You don't win a championship because you've got a great running back. Okay. Um, The highest paid running back in the NFL right now is Christian McCaffrey. Never been to a Super Bowl. The second highest paid running back in the NFL right now is Alvin Kamara. Nope. No Super Bowl. Derrick Henry, number three. Nope. No Super Bowl. Nick Chubb, number four. Ever been to a Super Bowl? Nope. No Super Bowl. Uh, Aaron Jones, number five. Highest paid running back in the NFL. Ever been to a Super Bowl? Nope. No Super Bowl. Now do quarterbacks. Lamar Jackson is the highest paid quarterback because he got this huge deal this year, and that's not going to last very long because there will be quarterbacks – Uh, like Joe Burrow getting their extension uh, soon. Joe Burrow's been to the Super Bowl. Jalen Hurts behind him, been to a Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers behind him, been to a Super Bowl. Uh, Russell Wilson behind him, been to a Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes been to three Super Bowls. Uh, Matt Stafford been to a Super Bowl. The point that I am making is, Running backs are important. Running backs are great weapons. Running backs don't win you a championship uh, uh, on their own. And that's the reason that, in part, 
they're they're logged into um, the kind of salaries that they are, which is right now at the franchise tag level at, at about ten million dollars. And oh, by the way, there's a glut of talent at the position. I can name you. You know, there's like four running backs that are coming into the NFL uh, this year that are probably going to factor highly for their teams. And they're going to be making a third to half of what these other guys, Barkley and Jacobs, are going to be making. You know, I've said this, and, you know, this is no secret. The way the game is played, the way the game is officiated, you got a passer, you pay him, quarterback. You got a guy that catches the ball, wide receiver, you pay him. And you got a goes and gets the quarterback on defense, you pay him. And then if you got a really good cornerback, you pay him. That's modern football, a lot different than when Walter Payton was gaining 12, 1,300 yards and the Bears were getting their ass kicked. O.J. Simpson never went to the Super Bowl. Right. Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders never went to the Super Bowl. Uh, great players. One of them a murderer. But nonetheless, <laughs> you know, we won't go there. But I would say to you that if you need a player to get you to the Super Bowl, teams are looking for, like you said, they are looking for players that make plays in the passing game or stop plays in the passing game. Simple as that. And everyone else is kind of a fill in the gaps and help uh, those other guys. They're complementary players. I do think this, I, I don't blame running backs for being vocal. Najee Harris, Jonathan Taylor, Derrick Henry, I, I, I don't blame them for being vocal. You have to do something if you're a running back. And I don't want to see the Colts give Jonathan Taylor a long-term deal because they got him two years on a freaking uh, uh, franchise tag. There's no reason to give running back a big deal. No, I, look, uh, this is not to diminish the, you know, the idea that they have a right to say whatever they want to say and make whatever points they want to make. And – God bless them. Uh, better for people like me. But I'm just explaining to you that in the grand totem pole of, of important right. and priority list of players, the running backs, it's not 1965 anymore. I'm sorry. Right. It just isn't. And the NFL has moved on. And while the running backs make a difference in the final four minutes of a game, if you're, you're, you know, uh, nursing a lead or if you're in the red zone and inside the five and you need to score, unless your name is Marshawn Lynch and you're not, and it's the Super Bowl, you're not getting the ball. Uh, the point is <laughs> you are a complimentary player. You are not the stud. And if you're the stud, your team is flawed. Derrick Henry is the stud in Tennessee. That team is flawed because their quarterback is a middling Ryan Tannehill. That's it. Hey, I, I do want to ask you a side note. Uh, ultimately, I feel like ultimately the commanders are going to be sold. Do you feel that way? Yeah, there's, you know, that's going to happen. 
So uh, yeah. barring the stock market, uh, you know, crashing to 1929 levels, was it 1929 or 1930? I forget. Uh, barring, you know, banks suddenly closing in America, which I don't know, um, you know, that's going to happen. <laughs> and so uh, it, it, NFL owners have a vested interest in getting Dan Snyder out as one of their own because he's never really been one of their own. The only friend he really has in that ownership circle is Jerry Jones. And even Jerry Jones understands it's time for Dan Snyder to go. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, I got people saying, well, the deal isn't done. I, I just wait. Hey, uh, the Raiders got tired of Darren Waller, huh? I think that's a mistake. Um, I, I, you know, Darren Waller, when he is healthy, uh, he is, you know, top three dominant uh, player. He is a matchup problem. Linebackers can't stay with him. Defensive backs aren't big enough to cover him. So pick your poison. And he is revitalized and renewed in New York. And I love the fact that he's a man of God. And I love the fact that he's a man of faith. And I look for big things out of him this year. I kind of do, too. I think he's a damn good player. And I think you're right. I mean, those, those kind of athletes... Uh, man, it'd take a lot for me to give up on. All right, couple things as we move forward. Somebody asked me this, and I really don't have the answer. Um, other than to say it had to happen, if you were an owner or you were a coach, let's say owner, all right, let's say you were the head of the PR department of the Miami Dolphins, would you want hard knocks? <laughs> no. <laughs> not even no as the owner there's i don't know of really team, what team raises its hand and goes yes come <laughs> into all my meetings be in all of our offices with cameras no. and oh. get up in our in our faces with microphones 24 7 for four or five weeks there's no team that wants that there's no nfl coach a group of people that like, you know, they should, their next order of business would be to join a spy agency. Uh, they don't <laughs> want, you know, full on transparency, not even with their players. I remember one time I was covering the Dolphins in, I think it was 2012. And um, the coaches at their meetings every day, coaches have meetings after practice. And maybe once every four or five days, they have general uh, roster meetings. And these coaches did what they did, which was tell the head coach how their position group is going, who's going to make the team, who's, who's lacking. Every single player that was lacking and his name came up, the next day after hard knocks, when they got ripped by their position coaches, the rest of the media, guess what we would do? We would go to those players and say, hey, um, your position coach hates you. What do you think about that? And we know this because it was on national television last night. So, you know, <laughs> hard knocks, not popular in-house. Let's put it that way. Dak Prescott says, and I'm quoting, I won't have 10 interceptions this year. 
If you were to make a prediction or a bet, would you bet the over 10, the under 10? Well, he didn't have 10 interceptions last year. He had 15. <laughs> so, <laughs> which tied for the league lead, I believe. Um, I don't know, man. Those kind of predictions, <laughs> is that, are we taking this serious? How does Dak Prescott know how many times one of his receivers is going to have a football hit him right in the hands and bound up in the air while three while surrounded by, you know, three defensive backs who happily, you know, pick pick the ball out of the air. There's so much how many times is a ball going to be tipped at the line of scrimmage and a defensive lineman will go like this and it'll fall right in his bread basket. To to predict numbers like that uh, Dak Prescott it tells me that that the statistic and the issue is in his head. And I'm not so sure for a quarterback that that's a good thing. I'm sure that it's not a good thing. Let me put it to you that way. I'm 100% sure it's not a good thing. You cannot have anything other than right here. You can't have all this clutter. All right. Tyreek Hill says 2,000 yards. First time ever for him. I thought, well, that's crazy. No one's ever done it. Why him? And then I started paying attention. 1,700 last year. Tua got hurt. I don't know. Is he out of line thinking? I don't know. Over under 2,000 Tyreek Hill. Yeah, no, he was on the 2,000-yard pace through like five or six games last year. Maybe it was even seven games. And then, like you mentioned, Tua Tungabailoa got hurt. And that changes everything for the Miami Dolphins. Tyreek Hill, <laughs> I'll tell you if the 2,000 is over or under, if you tell me if the number of concussions for Tua Tungavailoa is over or <laughs> under one. If it's under one, Tyreek Hill has a shot. If it's over one, yeah. no shot for Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Yeah. The, la the concussions is going to be you know, the key right there. i tell you this, though. I thought it was nuts. I'm like, yeah, this is just a dude talking. It was seven games. He was on pace. You know, uh, I think Calvin Hill's the guy that came the closest. All right, last, last thing. Are you watching the Netflix series, The Quarterback? you have any interest in that? I have a life. Um, <laughs> up until around August – when training camps get in full swing and the job says you must pay attention, but it's July. <laughs> and so am I watching last year's stuff in July? Not yet. No, uh, right. but I will. Right. I mean, I, I absolutely will because it's part of my work, but do I have a life where I do other stuff? that is not sitting in front of the TV set and watching last year's quarterback highlights. Yeah, I do. And so I haven't gotten around to it. I'm sorry. I'm a bad guy. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. Yeah. No, you are. You are. You're bad people. But, you know, you live on a beach right there. Sometimes you live in a stadium. You got a lot going on. I mean, I don't have a life. My life shuts down. I'm looking outside. It's nice today. So it'll shut down around 7. And then I look at my wife, and she looks at me, and we go, what are we doing? 
and we usually turn something on. And I, I'm thinking about the quarterback. That's why I asked you if you were going to tell me, no, it's really, really good, then I was going to watch it. But I'm kind of with you. I, I don't need last year's stuff. Maybe my wife and I will just sit around and have a seance tonight and try to bring dead people back. How's that? I'm so happy that when I didn't know where you were going when you were starting to talk about me and my wife. I look at her, she looks at me, and we talk about what wow. are we doing next. I was gonna, I was starting to squirm a little bit where that conversation was going, but thank God oh, you, yeah. you bailed out, and uh, I'm, I'm all the happier for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you'd like, I can go into details what we do every no. third day, but that's, you know, no. that's for, <laughs> I'm good. for another show. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate you. Now go jump in that beach right there. Go frolic. Peace out. All right. He's just Armando, ladies and gentlemen. He's like Cher. He's just Armando. That's all. Just Armando. You all know him. You love him. Uh, But Dak Prescott did say that. Dak Prescott said, hey, look, I'm not throwing 10 interceptions this year, which I'm assuming he meant I'm throwing 10 or less, 9 or less. Let's put it that way. I don't know, but hey, look, guys are talking. There it is. I won't have 10 interceptions this year. Armando said it best. What, are you going to have 15? What, are you going to go for a new record? What are you going to do? Hey, look, I hope he doesn't. See, I'm a Dak Prescott fan. I like Dan Mullen. I knew Dan Mullen when he was back at Bowling Green with Urban as a quarterback. I like Dan Mullen. Dan's been a good friend of the show. Dan's terrific on TV. He gives a coach's perspective. And Dan coached Dak Prescott at Mississippi State. So, you know, I don't know. What, what, eh. I hope he does well. I, I root for guys that I want to be successful based on a relationship. I'm too old to blindly follow a team that isn't my wife's, isn't my daughter's, isn't my stepdaughter's, isn't my stepson or my son's. I'm a big Illinois State fan. I make no bones about it. I got all kind of red that I wear, but that's about it. But in this day and age, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know. You know... Don't we all, at some point, you got to root. You just got to root for some decent people. And I got to believe, I got to think that Dak Prescott seems to be a decent guy. And all I ever hear, him and and, and Mike McCarthy, you know how tired I am about hearing that Mike McCarthy is going to be fired every day? I mean, it's like, all right, all right, the season's over. The season hasn't started. The season is in the middle. The season is at the end. I don't know. I don't know. Hey, how about this? A former executive of the commanders was challenged to fire a lawsuit. His name is Jason Freeman. So you know what Jason Freeman did? Jason Freeman fired a lawsuit, filed a lawsuit, $7.85 million lawsuit. The team, the commanders, had said that Jason Freeman, a team executive, had lied and perjured himself under oath by saying that the team held back funds. And then they said, hey, look, if you think we did, we're calling you a liar. Sue us. Well, guess what? He sued him. The team responded to Mr. Freeman's allegations of financial improprieties. Listen to this. By repeatedly and publicly calling him a liar, accusing him of committing the federal crime of perjury. This is what the team did. And falsely implying that he was terminated as part of the team's sexual harassment scandal that was being widely reported in the press. We believe. So when they do, they said, hey, 
You challenge us, we're going to do it. I always tell you, man, unless you are 1,000% right. This goes back to Bo Pelini at Nebraska. When Bo Pelini told Nebraska, hey, look, if you don't like the job I'm doing, fire me. They fired him. Of course, the team says, we believe the complaint is without merit. We'll vigorously defend the team against these false allegations. I, to quote a good friend of mine, I then, okay. Don't challenge somebody. Now we'll see where it goes. I got to tell you, I'm rooting in this case. I normally haven't paid attention to this whole thing with the commanders other than the occasional talk about it. But I got to tell you, I'm rooting for Friedman in this case. You're going to challenge somebody to file a lawsuit, and they file a lawsuit. I'm all in on it. I'm all in on it, and if you want to fight about it in court, fight about it in court. Period. Man, this seems to happen all the time. There's an, there, there's an idiot in the Tour de France that has to take a selfie, right? Has to take a selfie. And guess what? Causes a major crash. So some dude, Sepp Cuss is the cyclist. And, you know, I don't get the, I don't get. So guys out there, he takes a selfie, he gets in the way of everybody, and everybody crashes. Everybody freaking crashes. And the head, ladies and gentlemen, of the Tour de France is pissed. He's pissed. He is not happy. He's not happy at all. He's going off, and he should go off. Seriously, why wouldn't you go off? If you are going to have a crash, then you know what? It should be among the bikers. It should be among the people that are actually involved. It should be just not some clown taking a selfie and getting in the way. Man, I got to tell you. That pisses me off. In fact, we need the Miranda Lambert thing because she's pissing me off too. Where are we getting the Miranda Lambert? I want to get the Miranda Lambert. She's making me hot too because of selfies. Adrian Petitz is pissed. He's hot. He's losing his mind, and I don't blame him. I don't blame him a bit. Get the hell off the road. Cuss fired all kinds. There was a spectator leaning into the road. It happens suddenly. That's a part of the Tour de France. There are people. Ideally, that wouldn't happen, but it's the biggest race in the world, and people want to happen. It's crazy. Hey, by the way, we got breaking news. Donald Trump, ladies and gentlemen, has just been informed that he is the target of a grand jury investigation into January 6th, the insurrection, or the supposed insurrection, or however you want to describe it. So Donald Trump, he is expected to be arrested. He is expected to be indicted because there isn't a grand jury in the world that doesn't want a piece of Donald Trump. There isn't a grand jury in the world that has the balls. Now, the interesting thing about this is that Donald Trump, he absolutely put out there that don't rush the Capitol. Don't be violent. He's remember he just sat in that town hall and he had all of his tweets. He's been notified he is a target of an investigation. He put it out. And there it is. Wow, Sunday night my family was had just arrived. 
Next thing you know, he is the target of an investigation. So I'm guessing that makes a lot of people happy. I'm guessing that makes a lot of people ecstatic. I don't know. I feel like this is just what we do. You remember Olivia Krolchek? Olivia Krolchek is a young lady who went to University of Cincinnati whose teacher gave her a zero. Her teacher gave her a zero because she used the term biological woman. How about that? Well, guess what? University of Cincinnati, I'm going to make sure I have this right, oh, reprimanded her, and then they overturned the reprimand. Hey, I'll be right back, but you got to, don't at me, you got to like and you got to subscribe. Like, you, uh, OutKick is just rolling. We're going to be at 2 million by the end of next month, I think, and we need you. Like us and subscribe us. I think the YouTube crashed for a minute, but you all are back. I cannot wait to talk to Olivia Korolchek. We'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Love, you know I do. I am married to smart women. I raised my daughter to be a smart, tough woman. My stepdaughter, an incredibly tough, smart woman. My mother, still alive, incredibly tough, smart woman. I am surrounded by tough, smart women. And this, my friend Olivia Krolchek is really tough, really smart. And she joins us once again. You were on last time. Your professor had failed you. It's so ridiculous to even say, Olivia, for using the term biological woman. And uh, you did not call the professor out by name. The professor apparently wanted to be a victim, became a victim, Ms. Nipper. And she did. She became a victim. She got a reprimand taken off of her personal file. What are we doing here? Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, my professor did end up getting reprimanded by the university after I filed a free speech complaint. But a couple of days after the whole story kind of died down in the media, they actually reversed the reprimand and she didn't get a, get it put in her file or anything like that. So I'm going to go through this kind of step by step. Uh, you go, biological woman, she fails you, you file a complaint. But, and I want to go to this because I dealt with this. I dealt with this from a professor a few years ago who made a big deal of me saying no to, uh, I'm a married man, to swimming in a pool with her. And she made it into, it was a, a victim thing. This professor then went victim on you, right? She gave her name out. She said she'd been threatened. You had nothing to do with any of that. No, that's correct. I actually hid her identity because I didn't want any hate to go towards her. And that's not the whole point of the story. It was just to show that my story is one of so many that are happening. So to, for me to put her name out there was never the intention. So when I saw that she put her own name out in an interview, I was beyond shocked. I'm going to show the video that we had of you earlier. Let's go to the video real quick. Professor Melanie Nipper and the University of Cincinnati have both proved themselves to be very disreputable and unprofessional at this point. The decision by the school to rescind this reprimand on Professor Nipper for failing me for saying the word biological to describe women just goes to show that the school sets rules and policies 
but you don't actually have to follow them because there won't be any consequences if you break the rules. And of course, Melanie Nipper is attempting to play the victim card in this situation, which is not shocking to me in the slightest because she's been pulling this card since the very beginning, claiming that it was very hard and she cried when she saw my video, even though I never said the name of the class, the school, or her name. She is the one who revealed her identity, and in doing so, she should have been prepared for the consequences of that. I have caused absolutely no harm and no threat to you by calling out the fact that you had very unjust and extreme actions, and they certainly have nothing to do with the color of my skin. It is not white supremacy to call out my professor for failing me for saying biological woman because of her own biases and personal agenda, and it is not white supremacy to call out the very true fact that a man will never be a woman and should not be competing in women's sports because that would be actively taking away women's rights and opportunities. It's extremely disappointing to see that there are women out there who are actually contributing to the erasure of themselves. I think that's incredibly well said. Um... Has the university, you're still at Cincinnati, right? University of Cincinnati? Correct. Yes, I am still there. What was their reasoning for removing the reprimand? They said that it was issued in error. I don't exactly know what that means. However, I've gotten no response. I've emailed a couple of people, but they say they can't give me any more information because it's classified. Have other students at Cincinnati reached out to you and said, hey, look, that's happened to me as well? I've had a lot of students reach out to me and say that similar things have happened. And even in my professor's first interview, she had said that similar instances have occurred in her classroom. So I know that she's done this to other students, and it's not just me, and it's not just her as a teacher. It's so many teachers that you see. You know, one of the things that is fascinating is you stepping up. Have you received... Have you received hate? How have you been received on campus or how have you been received, you know, in your other classes? Because I don't know, people tend to, in similar professions, seem to stick together. You know, professors sticking together with professors could take it out on you. Correct. Yeah, I am fortunate to be in the summer semester. So all my classes are online right now. So I don't have to deal with anything in person. However, of course, there's going to be the Internet trolls and the people who are you know, I'm going to attack me through comments and messages online, but it doesn't matter because they can't attack the content of my videos. And that's been obvious. They just attack my speech impediment, which I have because I have a bilateral hearing loss. They attack my looks and things like that because they can't attack the things that I'm saying. So it says a lot more about them than it does about me. Honest to God, it, that that's the thing. That's exactly what it is. I get attacked every day, and it's never about a conversation that I've had. It's never about something that I've said. It is something ancillary. You know, my coaching record 100 years ago, my bald head. You, you know what I And it's really kind of disgusting. It's really kind of ridiculous because you're on the right side of this. Yeah, it is. it is a little annoying to get all these comments because – you know, it sometimes it hurts to see all these negative comments about my looks. But then I just remember, once again, it doesn't mean anything. They're just saying things just because they have nothing else to say. They're trying to hurt me. But at this point, I just encourage it. I encourage the interaction with my videos because the more that people see my videos and comment on them, TikTok knows to send them out in like the algorithm and more people will see my stuff. Right. And if anyone's commenting on your looks, then they are just jealous of your looks. Let me just, let's get that out there without me being some weirdo, okay? I mean, I got to be very delicate about that. I understand, right? But that's just utter jealousy uh, about how you look relative to how they look. You were at Turning Point. 
Uh, you meet p- kids there. You meet uh, young adults, uh, students there, older students, whatever, that have had the same experiences. Yeah, that was just amazing to be there and at Turning Point this weekend in Florida. And there's so many people who are there to just share the same beliefs and talk about the same issues that are at stake. And it's so encouraging and so motivating to continue speaking out. And really, I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, hey, I know you from somewhere. And I'm like, oh, you've probably seen that I was failed for biological woman. And then a lot of them have told me, I think I should start speaking out. I think I should start putting my opinion out in the papers. And I'm like, yes, please do. So it's so amazing to see that from fellow students. Do you feel that is turning? Like, I I feel like a few years ago, uh, folks like you or students, even uh, my daughter when she was at Indiana, I felt like they they were under the thumb. You know, if you speak out, man, oh, man, it ain't going to go good. Do you think that's turning a little bit? It depends. I think that there's a lot of people who are going to start speaking up and a lot of people who have already started to speak up. And I think it's going to be a pivoting point in our society. But I do think that, unfortunately, our schools are led by those who disagree with us. So it's going to be very hard to have the outcome that we want. But that's why we need numbers. We need a lot of people to start standing up and speaking up for anything to actually change. Who ultimately makes the decision to not to rescind a reprimand? Is it the, you know, is it the chancellor? Who, who makes that decision? I don't know who actually sent the, like, rescind of the reprimand, but I do know that she, the professor Nipper, she sent an appeal to one of the, I think it was one of the deans at my school. And that's who I asked why it was rescinded and she was unable to give me any more information. Yeah, that's the thing that blanks me off. Like, people can make decisions that impact, and really that decision kind of impacts the entire school because other professors, but they're faceless. You know, they're like the trolls on Twitter that use a fake account and they come at you. It shouldn't be. This should be a very upfront thing, a public hearing, because last I looked, Cincinnati's a public school. You're a student that brought a very serious allegation towards a professor. I, th- there should have been some openness, some transparency in this. I agree. And as I said in the video that you played a little bit ago, like if the school doesn't follow all their policies that are in place and they don't actually enforce them, where do we draw the line? What policies are they going to enforce? Like, why do they get to pick and choose which ones they enforce, whether the teacher agrees with the woke ideologies or the right side ideologies? Can you imagine? I mean, I think it'd be great if the next class you're in, you walked in with that shirt, biological woman, you wrote a big piece, whatever it is on biological women. I don't know. Uh, You seem like the type of young lady that isn't afraid um, will you poke the bear a little bit in, in a class or is that just a ridiculous statement by me? <laughs> Honestly, I hope that I won't have to. I'm a chemistry major. So the last few classes that I do have left before I graduate next semester okay. are you know, more science classes. So I probably won't have to, but I'm never going to censor my own opinion. So if it does happen to come up, then it is what it is. Uh, you follow Riley Gaines much? Yes, she's amazing. She's one of my biggest inspirations. I wrote about her in my paper. What What did you say? In the paper? Yeah. I was writing about the rights and opportunities that women have had in athletics throughout time. So she's like the more current issue that we're focusing on. So I had written that I wrote about her story and how Will Thomas took away those opportunities from her. And so I just wrote like, 
she's one of the examples of what's happening in our society now that men are taking away these opportunities from biological women. Do you see now Leah Thomas is a Antifa warrior now? <laughs> I did see that. I don't even have words to describe that image. <laughs> I don't know. You know, let me ask you, you're, I'm old, right? I'm old and I've seen stuff and Man, nothing would surprise me, but I got to believe even for you at your age, not much is going to surprise you when you see stuff like that, right? No, honestly, I wasn't surprised to see it. I was kind of expecting something to happen like that. I mean, we know what path she, this person was going down, so. Do you think, I mean, this is off the topic, but so you see something like that with Leah Thomas, right? Is that real or is that just chasing? Is that just chasing clout, clout chasing? Is that just looking for more attention? Is it, what do you think? Honestly, I don't know because I've never been on that side. So it could be like an attention grab because maybe he wants attention from the society and he wants all this attention back on him. Or, I mean, as we've seen a lot of people with gender dysphoria and mental illness, like they don't know any difference. So honestly, I can't even say it could be either of those. Would you be kicked out of your class for calling Leah Thompson him? I think you just called him him twice. Would would you be would you be kicked out, arrested in Cincinnati? What would happen? Well, probably <laughs> it's a blue city, but I'm just saying the truth, so I don't think I would actually get in real trouble. I mean, Will Thomas is a guy, and that's. I just saw somewhere I, I forget where it was. Yesterday we talked about it. they're trying to make it a crime if you misgender someone. So be careful out there. It's uh, I don't want to see you locked up for saying him when it's a her or her when it's a him or I don't even know. I got a headache. <laughs> yeah, I think that I saw that in Michigan as well. That's insane. Hey, Olivia, anytime you got something you want to talk about as this story progresses or anything else, you're always welcome here. We love you, man. Thank you so much for coming back on and thank you for being so strong and so tough. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a good rest of your day. You too. I'm telling you, I just, I think she's awesome. I do. I, I think women that stand up to this crap are just absolutely awesome. So many people are afraid. You know, we talk about it all the time. The folks at ESPN that won't stand up for, uh, excuse me, Sage Steele or won't stand up for Sam Ponder just make me sick. And they know they're white guys. White guys cannot stand up at ESPN. You know, if Matt Berry is a great friend, and I went at him, but he's a white dude. It was unfair of me to single Matt Berry out the other day on Twitter. Matt Berry's a white dude. You can't stand up as a white dude at ESPN. You just absolutely cannot do it. Now, you can act like you can, or you can, you know, privately, but you cannot do it. Dan, so if I called Dylan Mulvaney a guy, I could get arrested. Uh, Sean Black... In the great state of Michigan, it's trending that way. Now, I go back to what a good friend of mine's wife said to me on a phone call after a show one day, and she said, Dan, the crap that comes out of your mouth that you have to talk about is unbelievable. Think about what Sean Black just said right there. So if I call Dylan Mulvaney a man, I could get arrested, and that ladies and gentlemen, is the way it is trending in Michigan. Think about it. Hey, man, what's up? Rested. Hey, girl. Wait, dude, what? Cuffs. 
man, the world is weird, and I am all not for it. I'm not for that. All right, I got, let me ask you guys a question. Let me ask a simple question. Who are your five most iconic professional franchises? Your five most iconic. Like, everybody has their own list. Top five. Your top five iconic. Now, if you live in Cleveland, like Sean Black, maybe you say the Indian or the Guardians. But I can't put the Guardians in there because they just changed names. If you live in Canada, I'm sure it's going to be the Maple Leaves and all these other ones. It is a bit of a colloquial type of a question. It is. It's a bit. I'm not saying it's totally. There are some franchises, in my opinion, where you're just like, oh, hell yeah. These are the most iconic. There are other franchises that I don't think are, that I think are a bit, what's the right word? Not a fraud, but just a bit different. Number five, the Chicago Cubs. In my world, the Chicago Cubs are probably the most watched, well, they're not probably, they are the most watched franchise that I have ever been involved. They are the franchise that I point to as the one I root for, other than my children, the most. I pay attention to on a daily basis. I want them to win more than others. If they are late in the season and in a chase, I am watching it like it's my J-O-double-B. That's me. Again, you may live, I don't know, Toronto. Maybe it's the Maple Leafs. Maybe it's the Blue Jays. But for me, because of their history, because of Wrigley Field, because of the tradition of the Chicago Cubs being there basically from the get-go of baseball, I can see where you might nationally have the Cubs as one of your five. This isn't a fly-by-night deal. This isn't like all of a sudden the Houston Astros. You're not an iconic team if you switch divisions. You're just a team. Numero four, the Boston Celtics should be higher. Should be higher. If you think about the NBA, you got to think about the Boston Celtics. The Lakers could be in there as well. But I don't really have them in there. I don't. Uh Uh-uh. But I'm going to say this. The most iconic franchise in basketball to me is the Celtics. Some people may say the Bulls. If you're younger, because you watch Michael Jordan win six titles, and you're like, yeah, the Boston Celtics won them way back when. Well, the Boston Celtics have been pretty good at winning titles, 26 of them throughout their history. The Lakers, probably the other one. But the Lakers, I don't know. They came from somewhere else. Maybe the Celtics did as well. But when I think of NBA basketball, I do. I think of the Boston Celtics first if I'm talking about iconic franchises. A lot of people might say the Knicks. Uh, Everybody is going to tell you the mecca of basketball is Madison Square Garden. But to me, and again, I was too young. I don't remember Russell. I remember Havlicek, 75 against the Phoenix Suns was unbelievable. I remember those guys, but I don't remember Russell. I don't remember Kuzi. I'm not that old. I'm old, but I don't remember those guys. But I know the history of the NBA, and I know the parquet floor, and I know the Shamrock, and I think it's the most iconic in basketball. It's interesting. I don't have a football one in here. You could tell me the Packers, but I've never found the Packers to be interesting. You could tell me the Dallas Cowboys. They're the richest franchise, but I always feel like they're more superficial than dug in deep. Could be wrong. Number three, the Boston Red Sox. 
The Boston Red Sox, pretty much the same deal as the Chicago Cubs. The Boston Red Sox, to me, are iconic because of their history in baseball. The Boston Red Sox are iconic because of those. Right there, their emblem. The Boston Red Sox are iconic to me because, frankly, frankly, they have Fenway Park, which is, in my opinion, the most iconic baseball stadium. You go to Wrigley, it's certainly iconic. There's no question. Dodger Stadium, fine. But you know what? Over the years, a lot has changed in Wrigley. A lot of lights, a lot of different things that make it not the neighborhood park that it was. Dodger Stadium, fantastic for its great moments. Not necessarily its obvious. Dodger dogs are great. They're fine. But you know what? It's not because of its, I don't know, location in the neighborhood. The Red Sox, the curse of the Bambino, all the history, the failures, the greatness, the awfulness, always interesting. I don't know. To me, that is numero three. Numero dos. And this is going to surprise you. This is going to surprise you because, well, it kind of surprised me. The Montreal Canadiens. The Montreal Canadiens, La Canada. The Montreal Canadiens, even when I was a little kid, and I'm sure they had somebody named Lemieux, the Montreal Canadiens, to me, are the most iconic franchise outside of my next one. And you may disagree. You may say, look, they're not that interesting. Maybe they're not anymore. But when you're talking about worldwide appeal, I think the Montreal Canadiens, I do. I, 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 I think they are as iconic as it gets. Les, I'm going to go, Les Canadiens. The Canadian Hockey Club. They were founded in 1909. I don't know. The uniforms really haven't changed. I don't know if they're any good or not. They've won 24 Stanley Cups. I don't know. That's pretty good. Now, you can argue with me they haven't won one since, well, listen to this, 1993. For a little perspective, IU fans, Calbert Chaney was playing for Indiana. For a little more perspective, that's 30 years. 30 years they haven't won one. I think personally I'm wrong putting the Canadians in there. But I did. And I stand by it because this isn't about recent success. This is about iconic. This is about who has stood the test of time. And I do. I honestly think that, yeah, I do. I think the Canadians have. I think the Canadians deserve to be at number two. A lot of people are saying the Cincinnati Reds. A lot of people are saying the Oakland A's. Huh? Oakland A's are moving. I agree with no fun league. No fun league sports channel. Dodger Stadium is a dump. Lee and I went there. Tucker Barnhart got us great seats for a game. Reds, Dodgers. We stayed for a while, and we're like, this place is a dump. So we left. But I don't think the Reds, I, I don't. I don't think the Reds are that iconic. A lot of you are saying the Red Wings, and I ain't mad at you, Otter Creek. But I think as we go through the history of the NFL because of the international brand, I'm going with these guys. These Demondozers. All right, numero uno, guess who it is? The pinstripes, the New York Yankees. To me, the New York Yankees are the pre-ultimate, it's the pre-ultimate logo, the pinstripes. I know they put a patch on it. It's got people pissed off. 
It really does. I know they tried to go for a bit of a money grab and advertise on this uniform, and I agree with those that are blanked off. It shouldn't happen. It really, really should not happen. But it did. And in this era, I suppose we're all just going to have to get used to it. You would like to think that they were different. You would like to think that the Yankees were making enough money through whatever venues and sports networks that the Yankees have that they don't need to put a little patch on no matter how many millions they were getting. But maybe I'm wrong. I'm not running the team. I'm not running the team. I'm not the one with the books. Yankees aren't great this year. Uh, Gary Sheffield Jr., I follow him all the time on Twitter. He's mad about him. Everybody's up in arms about the Yankees. But there is no denying that the Yankees, their uniform, Yankee Stadium, and this is really important to me, the way they celebrate their history. Cubs put some guys' numbers up on flagpoles. They put a statue of a couple guys outside. They got a statue of Harry Carey. That's wrong. The statue should be Jack uh, Brickhouse, and anyone that's a real Cub fan knows it. Should not be Harry Carey, but it is, and I ain't mad at him. I ain't mad at the family. I'm happy. Good. I'll take a picture by it. I got no problem. But the fact of the matter is the Cubs do that, but nobody celebrates their history like the Yankees do. The retired numbers. People say, why do you see so many weird numbers with the Yankees? Why do we see Aaron Judge with 99, guys in the 60s? Because all the good numbers are retired. And they're out there in Monument Park, which is a very cool place. Been to New Yankee Stadium once. Was never an old Yankee Stadium. And I regret it. I do. I regret it. But you know what? Fact of the matter is this. (laughs) They're the best, most iconic franchise. When I was a kid, I never understood it. I was after Mantle and Maris and, and all those guys. Whitey Ford, I was after. My dad loved them. Every guy my dad's age loved them because they were hard drinking, hard playing, normal guys that peep that won. And people liked winners. Smoke cigarettes, drink beers, uh, have a good time, show up hungover. It was what baseball was about. Period. That's it. Then they got bad. Then Steinbrenner brought them, and off they are going. So anyway, that's my top five iconic. Please feel free to submit yours as I want to hear from you. Yeah, 99 is going to be retired. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dan, this is from Charlie Badrock. Yankees are number one. I saw Russell play as a kid, and when he came in to play against Will, who I still say is the greatest, yeah. Yeah. Billy Martin, Yogi Berra, Babe Ruth, Garrick, Mantle, Mays, Ford, Judge, Reggie Jackson, Catfish Hunter, Goose Guy. I mean, you can go on and on. It's absolutely fantastic. It is. Hey, thanks for being here. I know our YouTube crashed a little bit earlier, but you guys have showed up and you are back rocking and you guys are back rolling. All right. When we come back, the SEC, it just means more. If it just means more, then why is the SEC commissioner saying something that I think is ridiculous? We'll get into that. I got a bunch of stuff to get into here. Hey, Le'Veon Bell, speaking of running backs, Le'Veon Bell has something to say. When morons talk, we're interested. Charles Barkley had something to say. We'll replay the video when we come back. 
That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Charles Barkley got on stage at a bar, bought everybody Bud Light, and called folks like me and others rednecks and a-holes for demeaning, I guess, or whatever we're doing, pro boycotting Bud Light. I'm not going to stop. I respect Charles. But look, here's the problem. Just, hey, look, the LGBTQ trans community is great, but don't come after our kids. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. Like, I don't think most people that are boycotting Bud Light have a real problem with anything other than don't, don't criticize or don't demean those of us that have supported your product for years. Don't put a fake woman up there, one that's playing dress up, and don't come after our kids. And I think Dylan Mulvaney represents, in my opinion, the transgender community coming at our kids. I just do. And I'm not sure why I do. I just do. Here's Barkley. this. I want y'all to drink this beer. I want y'all to drink this beer. I got three cases of Bud Light. Hey, and I want to say this. If you're gay, bless you. If you're transgender, bless you. And if you have a problem with that, you. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, I don't care. I mean, look, I, I love Charles. I do. Charles' friend of the show, and I respect everybody's opinion on this. I have a good friend, Kevin Paschke, who is on Facebook all the time drinking a Bud Light. Today it was Texas Roadhouse, sir, proudly serves Bud Light. Kevin's been in the uh, alcohol industry for years, and he knows a ton of people at Bud Light, at the local distributor here, Zinc. And I get it. It's either Zinc or Monarch. I think it's Zinc. And you know what? I don't blame Kevin. He knows the people involved. I don't blame anybody. Everybody could have their opinions, and that's one of the beautiful things about OutKick. You have an opinion. We challenge your opinion. We don't. We, they, I, there are a lot of opinions on here that I disagree with, and I've said so. And people go, well, you're going against your boss, Clay. Well, that's what we're supposed to do, isn't it? I don't know. I think it is. It seems to me that it is. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we're all supposed to have the same opinion. And if we don't have the same opinion, then we're supposed to yell and scream and lose our mind. All right, this is a side note. This isn't actually in our rundown, but the Obamas apparently, particularly President Obama or former President Obama, he was shaped by gay porn. Look, all these books that people are talking about not having in classroom, many of them are gay porn. Many of them are man-on-man action, and Obama put out a tweet saying, these are the books that shaped me? President Obama, this is something I did not know, that you uh, were shaped, and your wife apparently was shaped by gay porn. I ain't mad at you for it. It is what it is. I mean, if that's what shaped you, then good for you, President Obama. Hell, you're pretty successful, man. Well, you never really had a job. I mean, you got to be the president, I suppose, so that's a job. But you never really, really had a job. But hey, if gay porn shaped that, good for you, baby. Good for you. I mean, you can speak in every speech that you give. You're trying to put on Mount Rushmore, but hey, you go fight win. You're one of the two worst presidents of my lifetime. The other, of course... Jimmy Carter, actually, you're one of the three worst presidents, Obama, Carter, and, of course, this guy. This guy's the all-time worst. But that's all right. We're not mad about it. Good for you, Obama. You were shaped by gay porn. God bless you. Good for you. A couple of things that I wanted to get into here. Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison 
compares Justice Clarence Thomas to a house slave character. All right, there are two kinds of slaves. House, they lived at the house, right? They worked at the house. And then field, they worked in the field. This guy, Keith Ellison, decides it's a pretty good deal to compare Clarence Thomas to a house slave. What the hell? Let's see. Well, Clarence Thomas, um, all you got, anybody who's watched the movie Django, just watch Stephen and you see Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas is a, he has decided that his best personal interest is siding with the powerful and the, and the, in, in this, the special interests, and regardless as to who they're going to hurt. He's like, I'm looking out for me, and I don't care nothing about you. And, but I'm on the Supreme Court, so it's my job to look out for you. So he's abdicating his responsibility. He has abdicated a long time ago. When he got on the off, when he got in office, he was this way. He's this way now. Maybe he's worse now. So Clarence Thomas needs to be impeached. Okay, there you go, man. Look, anybody from Minnesota I have no respect for in politics because that's a city run amok. By the way, the house slave character is played by Samuel L. Jackson in Django Unchained. Good for this guy. This guy has free speech. This guy's using it. This guy has a community that is completely run amok. Minnesota's a mess. The city of Minneapolis is a train wreck. Now, outside of Minnesota, when you get into the lakes, 10,000 lakes, it's all good. But this guy, of course he needs to be impeached. Why does he need to be impeached? Because this guy doesn't agree with him, while this guy has done a god-awful job of being the attorney general. If you are in any type of authority in law enforcement, not the actual police officers, police officers want to do their job, but if you are the attorney general, you are the congresswoman's or all the crap that comes out of Minneapolis, you should be impeached. You should be fired. In fact, I would bet you, if you look close enough, all of them should be jailed. But I digress. I do. I digress. It's just the way it could. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just the way it goes. All right. A couple of other things. Apparently, the Washington Post has to make drastic uh, drastic corrections because, well, the Washington Post said some crap, man, about our guy DeSantis. Now, I don't know if DeSantis is actually my guy. I don't know who's my guy yet, and I understand. I understand that you know what, my endorsement is going to be big in this upcoming election. But our own Ian Miller says the Washington Post's entire article saying that DeSantis's policies and decision-making make people move out of the state at record numbers. Uh, they have to issue a, cor- a correction completely undermining the entire point of the article when it's pointed out that they had the statistics backwards. People are going to Florida in record numbers. People can't wait to get to Florida to escape places like Minneapolis, Minnesota. They're not leaving Florida. They're going to Florida. I'm going to say this again. They are rushing to Florida, not leaving, as the Washington Post said. You know, isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing how our editors whether it's here at the Indy Star, the Washington Post, they're just so bad. How does an editor let this go? Florida might pay for MAGA cruelty and no nothingness. Okay, Jennifer. Jennifer's always mad. 
See, if you're on the wrong side of Jennifer Rubin, then you got to listen to this crap. Uh, a previous ar- version of this article mischaracterized Florida state-to-state immigration. According to census, more people moved into Florida than any other state that year. This version has been corrected. Shocking that an insane, crazy, far-left liberal maniac woman would get it wrong. I'm just shocked that she hasn't come back, this Jennifer Rubin, and played victim. Sexist! It's sexist to say that I was wrong. I'm never wrong. I'm a woman, hear me roar. In numbers too big to explore. Helen Reddy. I like the song. Seriously. I We all wait anxiously, side note, on Jalen Rose's accusation that ESPN is racist. We all wait anxiously for Jennifer Rubin to say, sexist, you can't create, you can't look at my article. Uh, This is fascinating. I've heard a lot of excuses for cheating. I have. I am. Van Pasterman says this. He said, Prince died just so he could get away from Minneapolis. He's not too far off. That ought to piss some people off. Oh, man. I like Ronnie DeSantis. Just not sure he'd be ready for a few more years. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Yeah, I don't like him. Charles Keel's mad at me because of the Green Bay Packers. I don't have anything for the Packers. They were always boring to me. I've heard a lot of reasons for cheating. I've never really heard this one. Listen to this. i got to show you the paper here. This is unbelievable. Jeremy Pruitt claims he broke NCAA rules because he felt bad about George Floyd and racial inequality. Jeremy Pruitt was the head coach of the University of Tennessee. University of Tennessee was awful during his time, and they had to get rid of all of their wins during that time that Jeremy Pruitt coached because Jeremy Pruitt was giving bags of cash to kids. And Jeremy Pruitt was going to one good player after the other. He was going to solve racial inequality. He was going to solve what happened to George Floyd. He was going to solve all of it by giving bags of cash to kids. His white guilt was such that Jeremy Pruitt, and I believe his wife, had to put cash in a bag and give it to kids. I just felt so bad, I had to give cash to kids. i tell you what you do if you're the head football coach at the University of Tennessee. You go into the communities and you give bikes away. You raise money for homeless shelters. You do some things that actually help the African-American community, not just give cash to kids. I mean, if you're that stupid, Jeremy Pruitt, you probably should be out of coaching. No, seriously. If you're that dumb, then you guess you got to go. There are plenty of ways. There's a city league here in Indianapolis. I'm sure there's a city league in Knoxville. Pump up African-American kids. Start a mentoring program where you take kids just out of high school or just out of college, you involve them in your football program, and you mentor them. A lot of things you could do besides, oh, man, I got to give a five-star kid and his mother cash because I felt bad about George Floyd. Damn it. I did. I tell you this, my brother always says he is not dropping dead at work. He's dropping dead in a pile full of hookers on the golf course and blow. (laughs) My brother makes more money than God, and he's really funny. But the point is, uh, I don't want to end up in some home looking out a window on a nice sunny day, dreaming back when I used to bet two down and play for hundreds of bucks on the golf course. I want to die 
Well, I, not in the middle of hookers. I want to die with Lee Ross right here. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's a disturbing image for both me, and it would scar Lee Ross for the rest of her life. But if you're going to ask me how I wanted to die, that would be it. Naked with Lee Ross. There, I said it. I meant it, too. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, Dolly Parton wants to go the same way, except she wants to drop dead in the middle of a song on stage. I ain't mad at Dolly Parton. If Dolly Parton died on stage, would her face still... I wonder if she can move her face. She's a beautiful woman, apparently, supposedly, inside and out. I don't know whether she is or not, but I'm ready for it. Dolly Parton, you want to die in the middle of a song on stage... I want to die naked with Lee Ross. Hope her kids don't see this. Hope my kids don't see this. But if you're going to ask me, hey, I don't know. That's what I'm going to do. All right, Patrick Mahomes' wife is quickly becoming a pain in the backside. People aren't liking her. I got no problem with someone's wife. Look, um, I don't pay attention to them. I don't. I seriously don't. But the truth of the matter is, uh, Patrick Mahomes' wife is whining. I wasn't ready for this. I wasn't thrown into the fire, ready to be thrown into the fire of NFL fame. Well, here's how you're not thrown into the fire. You go to the game, and that's it. You don't act like a fool. You don't jump up and down. You don't bring attention to yourself. That's how I would go to games. Look, when I'd go to my son's game, it was all paparazzi, velvet ropes, man. It was like, hey, Dan, take a picture. Hey, no, I just sat in the corner and watched the game. I learned that from Bob Knight. Bob Knight would go to a game, and you can imagine in the state of Indiana when watching his son, it was insanity. He'd sit in the corner and watch the game. You don't need to be jumping up and down. You don't need to be wearing your Mahomes jersey. That's why I have no respect for Robert Griffin III or whatever the hell his name is. He's at the... Uh, who was, who'd Baylor beat for the national championship here in Indianapolis? Maybe it was Gonzaga. And he's wearing, as an adult now, he's wearing a Griffin basketball jersey with nothing underneath, and he looked like an idiot. Even the people that were hanging with him, he was in the suite next to me. Even the people, even the people that were next to me were absolutely like, get this guy away from me. Get him the hell away from me. I don't want to be around him. So, lady, Brittany, here's what you do. You just shut up and you go to a game. Wow. You get to sit in a suite. No one's going to bother you. But you and the entire Mahomes family, actually not the dad or the mom and not Patrick, but the brother and the wife, you guys want all this and now you're going to complain that you weren't ready? I don't want to hear it. There's a very, very simple way. Go to the game. Dress nice. Go to the game. Go down to the family area after. Meet your husband and go home. Simple. Non-binary, the mad crapper slash the mad thief. Remember Sam Britton? Remember Sam Britton? He was like a department, some kind of nuclear energy guy. He was a diversity hire, well, one of many diversity hires in the Biden administration. He couldn't keep his hands off luggage. He had a thing for Vera Bradley. He would take your luggage. If you were in an airport and you were with Sam, whatever his name is, Britton, he was, chances are, and you had nice luggage, he was going to get his grubby little syphilitic paws on it. Yeah, he was. He was going to try to take your luggage. Somehow, some way, this idiot 
was put on a, quote, secret taxpayer-funded trip when he started stealing luggage. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Some cross-dressing clown that is so mentally ill that he has to take your Vera Bradley, and he did it not once, not twice, but three times, is on a secret taxpayer-funded trip. Somehow, some way, the Biden administration and all the little jackasses that run wild within that administration thought enough of this guy, this guy, to put him on a secret taxpayer-funded trip. Now, let me ask you a question. Doesn't it call into question the people that made the hire? Doesn't it call into question the people that are his bosses? And doesn't it call into question the 81 or 84 million people that supposedly voted for Biden? Of course it does. It's ridiculous. It's silly. It's maniacal. It's idiotic. It's crazy. Nuts. But that's what we do, and that's where we are. Hey, uh, Joel Embiid causing waves, you know, the MVP. He's causing waves because, well, here, listen to what he said, and I'll tell you why Joel Embiid is making people nervous, particularly making people nervous in the great city of Philadelphia. Here's a little bit from the MVP. Your brain, but what can we look forward from Joel Embiid? Um, I just want to win a championship. Um, you know, whatever it takes. I don't know what that's going to be, whether it's in Philly or you know, anywhere else. You know, I just want to have a chance uh, to accomplish that. I want to see what it feels like to win that first one and then you can think about, you know, the next one. Um, you know, it's not easy. Um, but, you know, it takes more than, you know, one, you know, two, three guys. You know, got to have, uh, you know, good people around you. And, you know, I, myself, you know, every single day I work hard to, you know, be at that level uh, so I can produce and make it happen. So uh, every single day I, you know, walking towards that. Well, when he said it could be either Philly or somewhere else, that drove people nuts. They want our, their sports stars in Phillies to be as loyal to them as they are to them. And you know what? They have a point. It is really stupid. It just is. It's just really stupid for a guy to say anything other than, look, I am so devoted to Philly, and I can come back on you later when a contract's up, but there's ways around that. But when you're currently playing in a city, you should be immensely loyal to that city. It just makes good sense. It does. Uh, Joel Embiid said what he said, and it'll be interesting if things go a bit awry how much Philly fans will come back at Embiid because, as we all know, Philly fans ain't easy, baby. Philly fans ain't easy. Hey, I do got to get into Leah Thomas before I get into Woke Dope. Leah Thomas, the noted failed male swimmer who turned, I guess, into a woman having – well, wanting to parade around in front of Riley Gaines and other with his junk out, he has decided to be an Antifa super soldier. Yeah, that's what he is. Leah Thomas, the Princeton, I think, or Yale, wherever the hell he's from, swimmer, is a super soldier in the Antifa army. Another in the group of weirdos that go around destroying our cities. Another in the group of weirdos that have nothing to do but hide behind masks and cause violence, kill, murder, rape, do all the things that bad people do. And guess what? Leah Thomas fits right in with them. I think we have a couple of pictures 
from Leah Thomas. Look at my head. I took a big shot to the head. You see that head right there? Look at that thing. It knocked me out. It did. I found myself on the ground. I hit my head. Well, if we don't have the graphics ready, then I will move along. But Leah Thomas, the update on Leah Thomas is this. He has decided ruining women's sports wasn't enough. Now he's an Antifa super soldier. Antifa burned down American cities, unleashed violence on those they disagree with, and are an incredibly insane and unhinged group of people. Uh, let's hear from Riley Gaines. Riley Gaines had comments on the rival that is Leah Thomas. Leah Thomas, doesn't, doesn't this make so much sense? I've specifically bashed Leah Thomas on anything. I haven't specifically bashed Leah Thomas on anything other than calling him an entitled narcissist, which I stand by, because ultimately he was following the rules in place. But this is disturbing. Tommy chimes in. Here goes Tommy. Leah Thomas is an Antifa warrior. Knock me over with a feather. Leah Thomas posted a picture of himself as an Antifa warrior. There you go. Uh, Dan Dockage isn't good at reading off his OutKick teleprompter. I don't have an OutKick teleprompter. There is no teleprompter. This is all unscripted. This is what makes me so great is that it is unscripted, and I do give you the best and most entertaining and most fun information every single day. There's nothing Ron Bergen here. I can take a picture and show you. Uh, anyway, we are woking, and we, ladies and gentlemen, are doping. And by the way, you got to subscribe. You got to like. I need a lot of likes here today. Hey, look, it crashed earlier, but we got our numbers back up because you all are loyal and awesome. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. Yeah. All right, what do we got? Who is woking? Who is doping? Gender reveals are pointless. Oh, my God, it's a boy. Then 10 years later, Kevin is Chloe. See, I kind of like that. First off, let me break that down. Gender reveals are idiotic. I swear to God. I know my daughter and my son will. I know they will. I know. And I hope it's sooner than later because I would be one hell of a grandpa. I mean, I'm young. I'm sexy and all that. And you don't think of me as a grandpa. You think of me more, I don't know, closer to a teenager than grandpa age because I'm that kind of hip and I'm that kind of cool. But I do got to tell you, I hate gender reveals. I think they're just simply pointless. And they are even more pointless because some kindergarten teacher or some second grade teacher will tell you, no, Kevin, no, Kevin, you're really Chloe. You're Courtney. You're Kim. You're somebody. You're certainly not Kevin. Don't try to be pal. Hey, mom, boy or girl? I don't know. We got to let the kindergarten teacher decide in a few years. Oh, yeah. That's what we want happening. That's pretty good. Gender reveals suck. See what it did? See what happened? See what happened with Zion Williamson in the gender reveal? Not good. Not good at all. All right. What's next? Oh, yeah. You got to take things from white people. Perhaps the best way to counter the opposition of affirmative action reparations every black movement of justice and equality is to culturally appropriate America's tradition of state-sponsored strong arm. Just take things from white people. Just go take them. Yeah. Michael Harriet, you just, hey, try it. Try it in the wrong white guy's house. That won't work out for anybody. Yeah, just take things. Yeah, I mean, you got to. I mean, if you want real change... Go take things from white people. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. 
That's what we want to do, Michael Harriet and Yahoo. Man, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I agree. Take things from white people. Just take it. Yeah. Walk up to somebody's house and just go taking things, says Michael Harriet. <laughs> Guarantee you Michael Harriet's a fat ass that couldn't take nothing other than a sando. Anyway, who's next? What we got? Oh, wow. The evolution of the garbage truck. That is funny because I remember not the first upper left. I do remember. No, I don't remember that either. Our garbage truck were bad, but Bud Light being the next. And I, hey, look, Sir Charles, get mad all you want. Call us a-holes, call us whatever, but I ain't stopping. Well, you know, the guy on basketball show says you're an a-hole. Oh, really? Damn. <laughs> I love Charles, but I'll, I will not have Bud Light. I was going to put on a blue shirt today. I was going to put on a Nike shirt. I will not put on a Nike shirt. Sorry, I won't. Now, you can tell me all these other brands. That's great. But I am not putting on a Nike shirt, and I am not drinking Bud Light or any Anheuser-Busch product. And as I said to start the show, this is affecting me in a big way. It is. I'm sorry. It is. What do you mean? Look, and I'm going to give it a pub. Mango cart. If you put mango on feet, I would eat it. If you put mango on ass, I'd eat it. You put mango on anything, I'm eating it or I'm drinking it. Because I like mango. I like fruity. You put peach in anything, I'll drink it. Doesn't matter. My wife made an unbelievable salad yesterday. It had peach, it had tomatoes, it had feta cheese, it had mozzarella. It was unbelievable. You put blueberries, I'll eat it. You put blueberries in beer, it's not great. I got a couple downstairs, I tried one, eh, I don't know. But you put mango, mango cart's really good, but I'm not drinking it. And I'm not mad at it. And you shouldn't be mad at it either. Hey, if somebody wants to, God bless you. I'm not going to start a fight over what somebody drinks or doesn't drink. I'm going to call you names over what you drink or you don't drink, but I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it today. I ain't doing it tomorrow. And I ain't doing it the next day. Hey, by the way, I'm going to be, if you want to check my act out, I'm going to be on Varney and Company. Now, I don't know if they tape it today and it's going to be on tomorrow. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But I'm going to be talking some soccer. And I got thoughts on Messi. That might surprise you. I do. I got thoughts on soccer. So we're going to be on Varney and Company coming up here. Uh, I believe it's today. I don't know. I'll have to look. Uh, I don't have my TV on today because I'm not watching ESPN either. No, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I got a lot going on. Here's what I got today. I don't know about you guys, but I got to get a gas line checked. I'm doing a show here at 1230. Uh, a lifestyle show, if you can believe it. They're going to pub our bikes program. And by the way, thank you to everybody that participated in our golf outing. Uh, is awesome. It is unbelievable. It was awesome. I probably haven't talked enough about it. And thank you to Ryan for coming out. Ryan came out, and man, oh, man, he got a lot of video from it. Hey, Ryan, when you get the video done, let me see. And thank you for all you do for us today. Subscribe, like, get, ring the bell. Know when we're coming on. Know when we're doing stuff. Dylan and Nick. Fantastic, fantastic work. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy. Ramaswamy. Coming up Friday. That's right. Guy who might be president joining our show. Look at what's going on with our show. And it's because of you guys. You guys on the YouTube chat and Twitter and everywhere else, Facebook, you guys have made this a very popular show. 
We've got a great staff. When we started this out, it was just me and two got two gals that were awesome. But now we got a staff, and you guys are showing out, and I so deeply appreciate it. I really do. Vivek Ramaswamy is maybe the common sense choice for president of the United States, and I'm really looking forward to talking to him on Friday. But Friday's a long way from now, and we're going to have a great show tomorrow. I'll let you know on Twitter who it is going to be. I thank all of you. Dylan, great work. Nick, fantastic job. Ryan, love you long time. Not all you guys on the YouTube chat. Who am I seeing? Fred and Iron Man, no fun. JPG, Outer Creek, JPG again. King Nuts, Bad Rock, Sean Black, Raynard, Linda SD. Have a blessed day. Dave Renard, thank you. See you later. See you tomorrow.